You're listening to The Quest for the Bestest from Backlot Banter. Join us on a side quest as we watch all 10 Best Picture nominees and decide which one we think will take home the big award. Your hosts are Timo Nelson, Abram Buner, Tucker Hazel, and Tanner Dykstra. The episode gets started in just a moment. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Quest for the Bestest. It's the podcast from Backlot Banter, where us four Backlot boys look at all the Best Picture nominees for 2023. We're doing our side quest, as is the yearly tradition. Um, I'm so happy to be here to talk about Tar. One of the greatest minds of our generation in the artistic world, Lydia Tarr, has uh, put out a film that we are going to discuss and debate. But before we do that, let's uh, revisit some of the stuff from a last episode in which we talked about it. We talked about a very good movie. We thought Avatar The Way of Water. We enjoyed it quite a lot. Um, we gave it an average score of 8.5. So while the top of our list is a little bit squashed together with everything everywhere all at once and all quiet on the Western Front right next to each other, there is some room um, as we creep down. We will see where Tar goes on the list. I really have no idea. I don't even know what I'm going to rank this film. Well, that's what the point of the list is. Indeed, Leo. Indeed, Leo. That's what the list is. That's, That's what, what the, the point is. of the list is. Dream <laughs> reference, of course. Thank you, Tanner. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. For our tar review. Why not? Uh-huh. So now I'm going to hand it off to my steam colleague, Abram, who I believe has picked a comment that deserves to be featured. I have. Uh, this comes from our, our treasured son, John Tour 11, who comments on our Everything Everywhere All at Once quest episode saying, the, the movie... The only movie I've seen out of the nominated is so far. When this came out last year, I loved it. I thought it was so fresh, funny, and everything that Doctor Strange 2 wasn't. Now, I have to say that I'm with Abram. The movie doesn't hold up on a second viewing for me. The action sequences are indeed too long, and Joy just irritates me. 8.4 out of 10. It would be great if this, w- if this wins, but I kind of hope there's something better to offer. Next one for me will be Avatar on Sunday. Dot, dot, dot. This man didn't see Top Gun. Everyone saw Top Gun. That's crazy. You know, I didn't see Top Gun. That's I didn't crazy. see Top Gun. Oh, you haven't seen Top Gun? Timo. No. All right. Well, we'll get to it. We'll, get we'll, to we'll see. The best film of 2022. See, that's, that's why I wasn't concerned, because I was like, I'm going to watch it when it gets nominated. It's true. Mm-hmm. It's a great point. Okay, we are not sure. different T-movie. Focus up here. I need, a, I, need a, I need a conducting stick. I've got a, a, I got a little hard gun, an old COVID test here I'll use. Um, <laughs> Good. <laughs> Very Tar. topical, very modern, like this film is. Yeah, this is yeah. a modern movie. What did you guys think of Tar on this most recent watch? Tar is a movie that I didn't know what to think about before I saw it, obviously because I hadn't seen you it. You hadn't seen it? But uh, primarily because it's not a type of film that is sort of biopic, sort of slow, very prestige, very very um, performance-focused. Not a type of film that I particularly gravitate towards, although I'm... As I get older and more wisened, I that starts to happen more and more. Um, mm-hmm. But watching Tar with a couple of friends in the theater when it came out, I was really blown away by what this movie does, primarily in terms of its dialogue and its editing and its performance from Kate Blanchett, and that combined with all the other technical aspects of the sound mixing, of the cinematography, I think this is a top-tier movie all around. It tells a fantastic story of an interesting person. It tells, uh, it, it portrays one of the best performances of the year as... Kate Blanchett is, has won some awards, has been nominated across the board everywhere. This is one of my favorite movies of last year, and 
even though I don't think I liked it too much more on a rewatch, that's already because I liked it like almost perfectly the first time. But I appreciated the um, setup and payoffs of a few things that are mentioned early on. And I think once you have seen it a couple times, you start to understand who Lydia is a little more as a person and, you know, start to attach to her and, and you agree with her more. And no, I'm just um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that she's entirely justified amazing. in all of her actions. Exactly. Yeah, that's the one. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll piggyback off of Tucker here because we've seen the film the, uh, the same number of times twice now. Um, and I also love Tar. I think it is a near flawless film, if not a flawless film, IMO. Um, and I think if I had to use one word to define it, it would be Tar is a dense film. Mm. I mean, we have every filmic aspect firing on all cylinders here. And it is dense from that aspect that there are so many elements of it that we, I hope so, at least, are going to dive into here and really just explore how freaking well executed every element is. Uh, I didn't mean to swear there. My, excuse Sorry. me. That's Let a, it go. Parlez-vous. But it's also th- so thematically dense. There are so many different readings and lenses through which you can view the narrative of Tar, her past, her future even, and uh, everyone around her in her in Tar's orbit, because she is such a monumental figure in the world of the film that uh, it's just fascinating to watch her world unravel, si- like sift through her fingers like sand that she was she had so perfectly manicured, and then now it's all gone. Her empire of of dirt has has crumbled. Hmm. Hmm. Abram, what did you think? So this is my first time watching Tar. Uh, I really wanted to see it. I just missed it in theaters. And I don't really know what to make of it, having seen it now. I, I agree with you guys in part that it is an incredibly it's an incredibly impressive piece of filmmaking and tenor. I think that dense is a very good word for it. And I think that it Much uses like of course. <laughs> I, I think that it uses film very effectively. Mm. The cinematography tells a story, the editing tells a story, and obviously the performances elevate that significantly alongside the, the dialogue in, in the film, which is quite incredible. But I don't really, I don't know what to make of the film's sort of uh, lens onto Lydia Tarr and cancel culture and, mm-hmm. and, and sort of the structure of the film and, and the ending of the film and the sort of, I would say, wishy-washy uh, approach it takes to the characterization of Lydia Tarr leaves me feeling a little bit unsatisfied i suppose with the Mm. film yeah and whether or not that dissatisfaction is intentional is something we can discuss but i end up watching tar leaving leaving my my viewing of it and thinking man that was a really impressive piece of filmmaking those scenes sure do love to go on for a while i don't really know what to make of what the film has to say about lydia tar as a person and it's sort of more global worldview on culture and maybe I'm stupid. I think I've probably proved that I am across the course of Quest for the Bestest, but I wouldn't. Uh-huh. But as a result, I wouldn't say that I'm really blown away by Tar. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, Abram, I am. I'm kind of happy that you said that because I felt much the same way after my first viewing of it in the theater, where I was like, I was like, this is a movie that I. It's dense. There's, it's it's trying. It's like speaking us. to me somehow, but I'm not. I wasn't really like. I couldn't like put all the pieces together about I couldn't, you know, form a, a picture of Tar after I'd seen it the first time. But the second time I watched it, 
I really found myself understanding a lot more and kind of kind of getting it. I kind of got the movie on the second time around, which maybe you want to get the movie on the first time around. But this one, I think, it succeeds in its subtleism. And there are oh, yeah. there are bringing it back. Yeah, man, I am bringing it back. Bring it back to our very first review ever. Mm-hmm. Subtleism. It's a classic quest word. I think sure. that the the conversation that the film has about power and the way it it shows us how power manifests is a mm-hmm. is very well done. And in a way that it didn't I didn't notice that aspect at all the first time around. But on the second time, I find myself being like, hmm, how 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 is this film showing me how a powerful person does things and uses their power to get what they want or to punish people that go against them? And I think that the film like that is a goddamn difficult topic. That is a hard thing to try to like display and show because it does work in real life in such a nebulous and small small actions build up to make for to make powerful people have power basically and um and so that aspect of the film i really enjoyed really like looking at um but i was kind of bored on the second time i think your note your note about the scenes going a little long this movie's long and i felt the length of it um and while i can be like you know keeping myself engaged a little forcefully just by like thinking about the movie as it watch as i'm watching i don't have to try to think too hard about because it does present a lot of stuff to think while I am like literally watching it. And then of course afterwards I think there's a lot more to talk about too. Um of course, star vehicle for Cape Blanchett. I mm-hmm. I think that I don't know what to think about movies that are that seem like they're designed to give one actor just like a a ton of stuff to do and to you know, a real movie. I don't really know what to think like not a not as in like actually existing but like a real you know your actor acting real or what, what? Oh, I see what you R-E-E-L. oh i see oh okay yeah uh the interesting thing about that timo is you're right about it being a star vehicle for Kate blanchett and it feels like it's a lot of its elements are geared towards accentuating her performance and well i think that's probably the strongest aspect of the film and what sticks with me the most i think what's great about tar is that none of those other filmic elements feel like they were second thought this film is so crafted in all of its filmic elements that they all, as Aaron was saying, support each other and bring mm-hmm. up the core performance, which is Kate Blanchett as Lady Tar, who I think I kind of want to start the uh, discussion talking about mm-hmm. because her performance grabs me, unlike many performances, from the first few lines that she says. We open the film and actually there's like this weird pre-bit where like someone's uh, using like a streaming app and like looking at Lydia Tar's like, not it's not I want to get the to that. continuity. I want to get fa- to all that. We definitely yeah. need to talk about that. But mm. we learn a little bit about who she is, why she's so famous as a composer, um, how this has impacted culture, and she's doing an interview. And we see her sit down in this chair, like take a swig of water from a glass, and start talking about music, about her life, about her influences, and the way that Kate Blanchett delivers this dialogue in like a ninety second shot, two minute shot, whatever. It's a super long take. And she's delivering this dialogue like she just, it popped into her head. And I have never seen a performance that just immediately, I'm like, oh my god, I don't know how a person read a script and delivered dialogue this naturally. The way that she, like, will pause and scratch her head or, like, repeat a word a little bit to, like, stumble getting in a sentence, but then, like, will catch her footing and, like, get more confident as it goes along and, like, she'll be excited about things and then 
she'll be asked a question that'll throw her off guard and you can like see the change on her face. It is so impressive what Kate Blanchett does combined with that dialogue, but I think her performance elevates this already really rich dialogue to such another level that I, she's not my favorite performance of the year. That award goes to uh, Mia Goth as a Pearl in the movie Pearl <laughs> because that movie, that movie goes crazy. Um, but she's the most impressive. No, I know that's yeah, that's still Pearl. Um, but she's she she's the most impressive awards performance of the year for me. Uh-huh. If I may, uh, if I may uh, inquire to Tanner in particular, Tanner, mm. did the sort of did the caliber of this performance earn any nominations? Perhaps well, that you might want to read out. You better bet your bottom dollar it did. In fact, Cape uh, Blanchett sort and through your Michelle... dollars. You got the ones on top. You got the ones in the middle. Boom! Look for that bottom one and bet it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, her, Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh are sort of jockeying for that Best Actress Award at the Oscars this year. But in addition to Kate Blanchett, we also have nominations for Best Picture, naturally. That's why we're talking about it here on the, the old Quest for the Bestest. Uh, Todd Field was nominated for Best Director. He was also nominated for the, for the Screenplay, Best Original Screenplay Award. Uh, also nominated in uh, Achievement in Cinematography for Florian Hoffmeister, the cinematographer here. And film editing for Monica Willie. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. A, a good chunk, a good a good collection of noms here. Some big hitters: editing, cinematography, directing, writing, and our main performance here. But let's talk about that main performance as Tucker just was. Tucker's correct, and I don't like to say that, but he is. <laughs> Cape Happens Blanchett, infrequently. Infrequently, Cape Blanchett absolutely dissolves into the role of Lydia Tarr. It is. It's hard to describe just, like, how one and the same they appear in this. For the entirety of this two hours and 40 minutes, my brain is not registering that I am watching an actress in a role. My brain is like, that is the person, Lydia Tarr, that I am watching her life unravel and unfold and basically burn up behind her as she leaves a trail of destruction mm-hmm. as the as the carefully manicured pyramids of power that she's that she's crafted over her entire career crumble down around her and the ways in which Kate Blanchett can bring this across with the subtleties uh because that's what that's what Lydia Tarr is she is a very subtle sort of uh, very subtle sort of person a very subtle character who knows how to manipulate people just so to get exactly what she wants and to see that all come tumbling down and to see her try to cope with it and keep it together but ultimately fly off the handle and and shoot off into space essentially from from where she was initially is so fascinating and it is Kate Blanchett's performance that keeps us grounded through the entire thing. I think what's interesting about it Tanner and that's what Tucker is saying that in that her delivery often doesn't feel heightened as I'm watching an mm-hmm. actress at work. It's as you're saying, Tucker, that opening uh, sequence in this New Yorker or New York Times interview, whichever it New is. New Yorker? This is a New Yorker core movie. Oh, yeah. Yes. New Yorker. <laughs> She's, um, she, I don't she, even know what that means. <laughs> I can't even conceptualize what that means. <laughs> you know what it means because you watched like the movie. A, and the French Dispatch. Yeah, that's a, that's both a New Yorker New, movie. New Yorker core, new genre. It's here and it's here to stay i think Aaron, please continue we're sorry we uh, we um no i appreciate that a lot i um we we hear her stumbling over words the way i am right now right yeah. and and i think it's little things like that that are quite interesting because to me the film's dialogue kind of operates in a couple different modes and i'm reminded in part of drive my car 
which was nominated mm-hmm. last year, which mm-hmm. I think is a kind of analogous piece to Tar in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but I, I the, it almost feels like we will have these scenes wherein conversation exists to just be that conversation between characters. But then we have these sequences wherein dialogue exists to sort of talk about something larger than the scene. Uh, the obvious example being in, in the classroom as Lydia Tar is basically bullying yeah. uh, mm-hmm. a Juilliard student. Wherein we need yeah, to talk she, about that scene. Yeah, yeah, she's she's talking to the student, but it's really Todd Field talking to the audience about something larger. And I and I think Kate Blanchett is able to sort of move between these different scales very effectively, and in a way that, as you're saying, Tanner, makes that person of Lydia Tarr become foregrounded, mm-hmm. because that person makes mistakes, but that person is also theatrical at times. And I yeah. think it's her ability yeah. to move between those modes that makes the, the character feel so complete. Yeah. And I want to add on to something in that the way that the script is written and that the dialogue is situated in the film, even though Kate Blatchett doesn't like, I feel like overemphasize, this is like wonky. It's she, Tar, Lydia Tar like speaks, she kind of speaks like I do in big phrases, circular logic, like I think in a way that the the what am I trying to say here? I know what I'm trying to say. The the dialogue is outlandish, I think, but the way that Blanchett lives in the character and delivers the lines, it is so believable that what this crazy, you know, ex- New Yorker core like using way too many big words and may, you know, trying to sound as smart as possible all the time, which I um definitely admit to being at fault sometimes. <laughs> I think that sure. that like style really influence like reinforces the character and makes it makes the not only the performance but the characterization. I feel like just like the way she talks is so kind of atypical, is different than all the other characters in the film, um, and that's an aspect of her performance that I really enjoy. Yeah, the I also I I, I don't want to cut the conversation about the performance short, but I think okay. in in terms of our conversation about feeling as though the entire narrative is anchored to Lydia Tarr and Lydia Tarr becoming so real. I think it's also important to talk about how the, how the camera contributes to that mm. because the entire framing of the film is very conscious of the fact that it is centralizing Lydia Tarr. And yeah. things happen on the periphery to characters and even to her that we don't see because we're really concerned with what Lydia Tarr is doing at the moment, which makes the shots that don't, that don't feature her feel even more eerie. Like when we cut to sh- these sort of like f- like forlorn reaction shots of Francesca, they mm-hmm. feel even stranger because Kate Blanchett is not the subject of them. And yeah. and so I think the camera's fascination with her both gets us closer to that character, but also makes anything that doesn't centralize her feel further away. And I think mm-hmm. that sort of distancing tool of, of the lens is really important for making as Tanner said before, Lydia Tarr be really all you think about and imagine as you think about the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's also helped by the supporting cast. We talk about the fact that this film is very focused on Lydia Tarr as a central character, more so than many films are, with like mostly just showing her and sequences that she's in. But I do think that we have a really solid supporting cast, not only from, from the performances we can talk about, but the characters of Francesca that you mentioned, her wife, Sharon, and Olga, the new fascination young cello player that uh, she sort of develops this relationship with across the course of the film are all really well-realized characters. 
I think that are performed very well, but the ways in which they're introduced, they have their own lives, they push back against Lady Tar in certain circumstances, they they each have a history or lack of history with her, make them feel like real people. And even though this film is very set in its time, and we don't do like flashbacks to Lydia Tar like conducting her animals in her bedroom when she was a child. We don't like see her play the clarinet. I don't know. What instrument do you think Lydia Tar plays? I don't know. She plays uh, the accordion, like, bro. Flashback. All of them. Triangle. Well, she does play the accordion. That's true. Uh, but we don't flashback to like her in high school band or orchestra or whatever. Like this film is very set in its time frame, and I think it works strongly because of that, because there's enough context clues and references to the past and references to how things happened that you you instantly like backfill these people's entire lives, even though you've only known them for a couple months, maybe the time span of the film, um, and most of it, you know, within a, probably a few weeks. Uh, but I think that it's the dialogue and these performances that make them feel so real, even though we're just learning about them, like, basically from square one. Like, we just are dropped into the world of Tar, and Lady Tar has relationships, she has a past that we, like, learn about over the course of the film, and the film doesn't do any, like, here's the exposition. It just lets you figure it out in a really natural way by, by the end of the film, especially on a second watch, I, I'll admit that. But especially uh, by the end of the film, I'm like, yeah, I know who all these people are, and, like, where they came from and what they're thinking and everything. Tucker, to that end, uh, you you said that you know we we don't get uh, flashbacks of Lydia Tarr's childhood or anything like that it, it reminded me of a variety video that I watched this week because um Todd Field and Kate Blanchett did a short video with Variety basically talking about the process of uh writing the film and they basically just answering some interview questions. Um, and one of them was about like the history that they gave this character and how that informed Kate Blanchett's performance. Um, and it was interesting to see because they just brought up a handful of things because this video was edited down, edited down to be like nine minutes or whatever. Um, but it's, it was interesting to hear Kate Blanchett's process and like her interpretation of Lydia Tarr as a character being like, I understood her to be someone who um, was like immensely bullied in high school or in, mm. in grade school and stuff like that. And she brought that sort of insecurity and the power, the power walls that she built up to that character. Sure. And I think... When you hear things like that, you're like, absolutely, that makes sense for this character. I could totally see that. And she she really said, like, a lot of times with these things, when you, when you say, like, oh, my character was like this when they were a child or whatever, that's just for your own personal edification. It's for the actor's edification. But she really focused on injecting that ever so subtly into the character. And I think it works. Um, because if we do want to keep following this line, I was going to go through this film chronologically talking about Kate Blanchett's performance, but fuck that noise. Let's jump to basically the very end of the film mm -hmm. when she is back home in uh, mm -hmm. Manhattan or somewhere in New York. Looks like she's on, um, on like Long Island or something. Yeah. Uh, and she goes to her childhood home. We see who his, uh, presumably her brother, uh, he calls her Linda. So we're like, oh, she changed her name from Linda to Lydia. And if you look, for some if reason. you look really closely, some of her childhood awards have her last name spelled with no accent and two R's. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, um, interesting. Yes. She's it, reinvented it, herself. At some exactly. Point. She reinvents herself to be more attuned to the world of classical composing and my favorite bit, one of my favorite bits is when she puts in that Leonard Bernstein tape of some, you know, old uh, 60s broadcast he did where he talks about what music means and why it's like the most pure and transcendent form of communication because music can say things that words can't. And Lydia Tarr starts crying as she 
understands what music means to her because you never get the you never get the impression that Lydia Tarr is disingenuous about her love and her fascination with Leonard Bernstein or a classical music uh, at writ large, but she's just abused the position of power that she is in, and that really like just destroys her. I think for for one final time is like. She had it all. She had achieved like with the highest position in the in the field that she loved, and it all went away. Yeah, I think that's so so cool. There's a uh, there's a line. There's a line. I believe it's early in the film. I think it's when Lydia Tarr is talking to that woman after she gives her mm-hmm. interview. That I think, and I didn't realize it until I basically finished the movie. But basically, gives away the sort of central question about who Lydia Tarr is. She's talking about this music, this musical um, piece that has eleven pistols being fired in it, and she says that the experience. Uh, paraphrasing the experience of listening to the music, you can't tell if the pistol shots are victim or perpetrator, mm-hmm. and and the entire film, as as we make our way to that ending sequence, Tanner is talking about, and then the the very end of the film, and it's I believe I was reading a little bit like it's shot in the Philippines or something or Thailand or whatever Philippines. Yeah. Um, oh, is about the Philippines or Thailand? Whatever. Whatever. Doesn't it doesn't matter. matter. It's I basically think they're speaking um, Tagalog, so that's Philippines. That would be Philippines. Yeah, it's basically the the film as we get there, and then I think what it leaves you with trying to reconcile after you finish it is that question: Is Lydia Tarr a victim of the sort of culture that cancels her, mm-hmm. or is she the perpetrator of all of these? Uh, misgivings and transgressions and misdoings is what I meant to say uh, to the people and the situations around her. Mm. And I think this is sort of where in my opinion targets a little bit muddy and I, and I want to leave it to you second viewing boys to help me mm. navigate that because I think an important part of her as, as we get to learn this sort of emotional intimacy that she feels towards music at the end that Tanner was alluding to is sort of what she becomes after that, what yes. she turns her love of music into, into this career that is about perhaps manipulation and abuse and oppression, or an artist whose voice has been artificially torn down. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know what the film is trying to tell me. Yeah. And if it's trying to be intentionally ambiguous, I've got something to say to that point. But I'm curious what you guys think about this sort of construction of Lydia Tarr as a as a moral figure yeah okay so so i have what you're asking is like what is what is uh what are we supposed to think of lydia tar even what do you think about lydia tar what the film is telling you about lydia tar sure okay sure okay Okay. i've got an idea um i think that the the juilliard scene is is very important for trying to 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 just dissect what we should think about lydia tar because essentially what that scene says is when she gets on all about, uh, you know, Bach as an artist, and then the student is like, I can't accept Bach for his, for his personage, right? He can't, you know, mm-hmm. I can't, I, whatever he did in the past, like the, artisthood. Yeah, they. Th- I think that the film raises this question of you have great artists who do horrible things, and what do you do about their art when yeah. the when you have someone who has made a like a certifiably like great work? As Lydia Tarr is shown to have made a bajillion. And then, but with these people are, you know, they're people and they're complicated. And so Lydia Tarr herself takes the opinion, and we see in that scene, of that the 
that you can separate the art from the artist and that the that the work perhaps because of it was so long ago perhaps with Bach's case she's so you know inside the canon of classical music but it makes me believe that she thinks the work is totally separable from the artist and that in my mind leads me to think that she uh believes in her own justification in doing bad stuff maybe she doesn't even think that it's bad but that because the uh, this she's separated herself from her work in a way that um that it isn't separated the film makes it so that she has to deal with all these repercussions but to me this question of like separating art from artist is kind of where i try to figure out what what's up with lydia tar and what i should think of her i didn't even answer yeah. your question abram but <laughs> that works yeah sometimes no answer is the best answer if I may, okay. uh, if I may interject here, well, let's talk about the Juilliard scene because that's probably the most famous scene of Tar. It's when it's the one that's been Todd. circulated on Twitter. It's where the meme came from. The what about Be Beethoven? Right, that's who she says. Beethoven, yeah. you into him? You into him? <laughs> that's where the meme comes from, and I think it is a fantastic scene just because it's done it not even like in a oneer. It's a oneer. That's like a it's like a what an eight nine minute scene all in one take. Fantastic yeah. stuff from Blanchett. But, but it also, also doesn't feel like a water because exactly. the camera is going in mm. and out and it's locking mm. into different positions that feel like, oh, this is a great shot. Oh, they must have edited. No, they like flowed between them and it keeps it so dynamic because she's like marching up and down the stairs and like going up on the stage and pounding on the piano. I love I love that scene. I love that scene. But continue. Continue. Okay. And here and here's what I'll say because this, I think it's the most popular scene because it's the, it seems the most prescient to the modern conversation about cancel culture that's what it's that, that's what the scene is really about is is the student justified in and i forget what the student's name is i should probably we could be analyzing the scene um anyway this is the student justified in saying oh i'm not interested i threw my pen i'm not interested in the work of bach because he did uh, some morally reprehensible things um, and Lydia Tarr is of the opinion that, no, that is ridiculous. Obviously, she's of an older generation. She's not so, more, so far concerned with canceling Bach for that reason. She's like, the, that may very well be, but his music stands on its own. Exactly what Timo was saying is that Lydia Tarr is a very much, you must separate the art from the artist because the art says so much more than the artist's personal life ever could. Yeah. Um, and for me personally... I think that Lydia Tarr is a irredeemable character. I think what she does in the film is pretty uh, abhorrent. You know, she's manipulated people for her, her entire career, not only for her own sexual exploits, but also just like for climbing the ladder of power at this at this uh, orchestra that she's at. And everyone else is just complacent to this fact, it seems mm -hmm. like. And it's very accurate to what a sort of environment like that would be in real life. So... I'm not gonna. I'm not a Lydia Tarr apologist. As much as as much as I joke about it, I think she is like a bad character who likely deserved everything that happened to her. Um, and so that that's where I fall. Where I come down on it. But at the same time, you 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 you, you it it's hard not to agree with her in that in that moment of like you have to separate the art from the artist. And I think the movie is very concerned with that as well. And that's where Todd Field is coming down on it. But also, because he also, um, 
examines the outcome of that for the artist at the very end when Lydia is in the Philippines. And I want to get to that as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I, you, everyone else can sort of give their interpretation of Lydia Tarr. I, I think... Do you want to go, Tucker? Well, I just... Quickly, I want to say I think there's two two readings of this film. It's mm. watching the film and Lydia Tarr's perspective. And she sees herself as the victim. And I think she really sells that. But it's a it's a version of telling a story to where you can understand why someone might see themselves as a victim in that situation because we all see ourselves as something greater. She's just an, she's an extrapolation of that. She is one of the greats in the, in the world of the film, mm-hmm. but she also sees herself as prob- one of the greats, if not the greatest of, of her time. Um, and that extrapolation allows you to like sort of fall into, okay, oh, maybe, maybe she is a victim in her own eyes, but I do think the film presents her as the perpetrator. It yes. punishes her for her actions. Everyone around her is always uncomfortable with her past. Even her, the people who are closest to her, her wife and her personal assistant, who she's known for years, are always like questioning her actions. And you can see that through their body language and the way that they're delivering their lines that they don't quite gel with this. And they know that she has done terrible things and they do want to re- make sure that she knows that what she's done is bad. And Francesca does that by leaving by Mm -hmm. refusing to go along even further with Tar's exploits. But her wife sits there and is uncomfortable with this and knows their past and uh, pushes back in very small ways of of arguing with her about the most barren things because Lydia Tar likes to harp on, like, really tiny uh, problems that annoy her, but, like, she turns into something bigger. I think that the film knows that she's an irredeemable character. And that's why I... I don't feel that the film is confused about its um, its own theming of separating the art from artists or cancel culture or whatever. I think that those two themes are in- intersect in a really fascinating way that, frankly, I haven't seen the film before. Um, but I think that you can read it from two different angles depending on if you want to side with Tar or not because she's so clearly set in that she's the victim in this situation and what she did is maybe not right because she's like, hiding things and she's like gonna oh make sure you delete the emails and all that but the film i don't think sides with her at all it's interesting because i think the film does Mm. um and i'm not really interested in like what it has to say about cancel culture because i'm of the real world opinion that cancel culture basically isn't real it doesn't matter it should be stated that of course we're saying all of this but also at the end of the film Lydia Tarr gets, like, she still gets a, a job. No, I think uh, that yeah. that's very important in the, the ending of the film. It's a job that debases her, but it's a job well, nonetheless. This is where I think it gets really it's complicated. This, this is where I think it's complicated, and where I partially have to separate, like, my own personal feelings from what the film is, is talking about. You okay. know, a lot of it has to do with that ending, which we'll, we'll talk about in its own separate part. Mm-hmm. But I think that that Juilliard scene is, is interesting, because in what she's saying not only about, again, quote-unquote cancel culture, but also identity politics, which she very specifically talks about, talks about that student's justification being identitarian in nature, Mm -hmm. nothing about the actual work. I do think that scene in large part is making some sort of like circumspect commentary about Lydia Tarr Mm, and and about the the need to still, I don't know if revere is the right word, but look at with importance Lydia Tarr's body of work and Mm. contribution to classical music. At the same time, I think it's complicated by the fact that 
because the film is so stuck in showing everything from Lydia Tarr's perspective, there are very few moments when we as an audience ever have to watch an extended scene because a lot of this is a film very long scenes we we rarely if ever have to watch protracted moments of lydia tar being reprimanded and being in the clear wrong by other characters there are moments of it we see the end of the boardroom meeting for instance where they're talking about all of the controversies that's that are appearing around her and then she leaves saying yeah i'm not coming to the next meeting they make a comment about advising her to in the scene cuts Mm -hmm. we see very briefly her go to pick up her daughter, uh, Petra, mm-hmm. but then Sharon comes and takes her away. Yeah. The the moments when Lydia Tarr is actually challenged with evidence of her wrongdoing, they are shown to be deliberately fabricated. Like when we see the video of her uh, in that Juilliard classroom that's been posted to Twitter that mm-hmm. is very clearly cut cut to shit yes. to make her look worse than she it's already was. Poop. It right. is. And, and, and it plays like that in the movie. And and what I mean they to say, me. yeah, and what I mean to say is that I think that a lot of what is actually shown by the film suggests or chooses to om- suggest that Lydia's tar treatment was in part unfair, or omits longer sequences that would very clearly illustrate how the people around her condemn Lydia Tar. We're taken out of those moments before we can really have people lay into her. Now, this is not a film that's overt, so I get that it's supposed to be about inference, but I think that in that inference, the, the film leaves room to sympathize with Lydia Tarr, even in the moment when she meets with that older composer for at the restaurant, mm-hmm. and he basically is talking about, oh, are there any allegations against me? I'm glad I got out of this whole thing before people started jumping down people's throats for their pasts or whatever. And then the ending of the film... It's it's both sort of like an, an elaborate punchline to a two and a half hour long joke, mm-hmm. but it's also this moment that clearly shows that Lydia Tarr is this brilliant person whose talent is now being funneled into what I think the framing of the sequence demonstrates to be a quote unquote low art. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do really think that the film is quite sympathetic in, in the images it shows and chooses to not show as they pertain to Lydia Tarr. So I don't actually think that the film is as clear-cut as you guys are saying until you bring sort of your own projection about what Lydia Tarr's actions meant into the conversation. And so for me, I end up thinking that the film is more muddled maybe than you guys are letting on. Hmm. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say muddled. And Abram, I know you earlier said that if it is uh, willfully sort of... Um, what am I... Ambiguous, thank you. I was looking for the A word. Willfully ambiguous about this, uh, that you had something to say to that. And I think it partially is. You know, you, you there is absolutely a reading out there where you can sympathize with Lydia Tarr to an extent, I would say. I don't yeah. know if there's anyone who's going to watch this film and be like, oh, Lydia Tarr, she shouldn't, have, she shouldn't have lost her job for all of that, you know? Who among us hasn't, you know, uh, sort of done the things that Lydia Tarr has done? And, um... I, I, it takes a certain kind. Up, it takes a certain well, kind. I, I guess, feel very lucky to not be. <laughs> yes. Um, so I guess I would, I would throw it over to you to say, uh, for, for your reaction to me saying that the, the film probably does leave itself open to quite a bit of interpretation. But at the same time, I just don't see how you could watch this film and not come off negatively uh, to, of Lydia Tarr to some extent, at least. 
No, I, I think you definitely do come off to some extent, but I think that the actions of the character deserve more than to some extent. And I think for me, this is sort of where it comes down to wherein, as Timo was alluding to, the film feels too long or feels like we're spending a lot of time with not, and this doesn't sound right, but what I want to have happen happening in the film. The, the big example is the name of the, of, the, um, of the player who kills herself is Kristen... Christa. Krista. Krista Taylor. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Again, this comes back to what I think the issue of the hyper-limited lim- hyper cone of, of view that the narrative has is. The, the implication, or it's really more of a straight-out accusation, is that Lydia Tarr pushed this woman to suicide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the film, I think, goes out of its way to never show us moments where Lydia Tarr would have to sort of reconcile that truth. We we see the moments of 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 admissions of of sort of retro or circumspect guilt when she wants the emails deleted, or when she's feigning ignorance when that other person from the orchestra asks her what she thinks about um, Krista Taylor's death and the fact that she needs to get a lawyer. Mm-hmm. But aside from the very small moment when she is in the deposition and being told by the prosecutor, your answers to everything are I don't know or I don't remember. Why don't I show you some materials? jog your memory that's all we ever see we don't even see those materials what, what i'm suggesting is that the film and i get that it's i get that it's dense and you're supposed to un- unravel these things but i think that at a certain point a character or a person of this sort of immoral status needs to be interrogated a little bit further and i think it could have been interesting to see kate blanchett be forced to do that by actually confronting her with an objective sort of uncut away from moment where she has to reconcile the material damage she's caused the people around her. I think that's a very good question. Here's what I will say. I'll I'll, I'll try to make it quick here. I think that A, Lydia Lydia Tarr is haunted by this. And that comes across in some of the more surreal elements of Tarr, which are also interesting to talk about. And I think we should get to them uh, and, 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 and move away from this is Lydia Tarr a good person or not? And what does the film tell us if she's a good person or not? I, I think I think she's haunted by that. You know, there's the scream. There's her vision of the dog down in like that that blown out building. I think she's haunted by this, and that comes across in those surreal elements. And B, it comes back to this familiar conversation around film, which is, do I need a movie to explicitly no holds barred? tell me that the character I'm seeing on screen is a bad person and, and must be punished and we see them punished. I don't think so. Hmm. I think that, you know... Turn it, uh, to the 40s. Yeah, I, I think that Turn art, to the Hayes Code. <laughs> I think that art is allowed to be more ambiguous and let, let you lead your own... You know, let, let you find your own interpretations of things. And I don't even think the film is that shy about punishing Lydia Tarr. It yeah. absolutely punishes her for her actions. It is the the foreseen outcome of all of the things that she's done that come unraveling around her, like I've been saying. And she is ultimately, you know, Abram, I, I, I can understand why it hit maybe a, a sore spot with you because she's playing video game music. And that's the, that's the low art form that she's sort of debased to. Cover it. Um, but nonetheless, it is a punishment for her. Yeah. Um, and not even, not even so much a punishment, just an embarrassment and a reminder of how she had it all, all that she wanted and how she now has none of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. The, I the, mean, oh, can I just throw in a, some, some, my thoughts about the ending, the way that the, 
The idea that this very powerful person who uses their power to do bad stuff, as in, I think the, the clearest example in the stuff that we've been talking about, we see that quick inserts of all the emails she says that I strongly, I cannot recommend Krista Taylor. She is weird, basically is what she says in 16 million emails. Mm -hmm. A powerful person uses their power to hurt other people and then is punished in a way that is punishing to them, but to a normal person is not a punishment at all. And that she goes to another job. It's in a foreign country. It's doing stuff that she would, ra you know, she'd rather be performing Mahler, but she's going to do Monster Hunter now. Uh -huh. She's still doing her passion, even though it maybe is much more complicated now, given the events of the film. I find that the film's lack of punishment is in itself a commentary on the people that are canceled in the in the like the people that do get canceled in real life don't usually have that moment where or at least we don't see it in in public where we they are totally confronted with all their wrongdoings and have to you know own up to them or slink away and in real life you know like Louis CK got canceled and then is selling out Madison Square Garden for stuff like Army Hammer just had a variety interview his, so, his like first one since the whole since his incident. Maybe the ambiguity of the film is is trying to say that cancel culture isn't real and that 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 identity aspect of it. I don't know how that fits in. I don't know. It fits in somewhere. The no, film I, like I, doesn't tell yeah. me everything still. And even after this second watch, I still find myself like, mm, uh, mm, mm? you know, kind of <laughs> towards some some areas of the film. No, T uh, Timo, I actually think you're, you're quite right. And the last thing I would say, so we can move off of this point into the surrealism elements, if you want, Tanner, because mm -hmm. I think those are interesting to talk about, is that even in those of her, of her being unable to sleep or being haunted, for me as a viewer, the effect of such a limited scope of, of, of perspective of the camera and, and, and the script makes it so that I sympathize with her inability to sleep, for instance, because it's also sort of ambiguous as to exactly why she can't sleep. And so I, what I, all I'm trying to illustrate is that I don't think that the film is as openly critical of, of Lydia Tarr as you do. N not that the film isn't or that it needs to be more so. I don't need the film to end with, with the Chinese uh, redux <laughs> ending of Pulp arrested. Fiction. Right. I don't need a fucking black screen to pop yeah. up and tell me she sucks and this is bad or whatever. But I'm just saying that I think that this film is far softer on Lydia Tarr than maybe I want it to be. And this yeah. is why, ultimately, I still have a very positive view of Tar as a piece of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. But I just think that its sort of political situation is kind of weird. Because I do view sure. it as being softer on her than maybe, maybe you guys do. But I think that, uh, as we're kind of illustrating, what I see as softness can quite as easily be interpreted as, as being condemnatory. But I do think, to Timo's point... I'll give you an example. Um, the the composer, the Final Fantasy composer Nobu Umetsu, his music Uematsu. was played at Uematsu. My apologies. His music was played at the Olympics. Like video game music is not some like low art form that is maybe Todd Field is implying. And again, I'm not I'm not saying that oh Todd Field sucks because he painted video game music in this way. But what I'm saying is closer to what Timo is illustrating. Like. Capcom is a fucking enormous company, and I'm sure Lydia Tarr is paid quite handsomely to go play the Monster Hunter concert. So all I mean to say is that if anything, I think our back and forth Tanner has sort of 
catalyzed my thematic reading of the film a little bit more, and it's probably closer along the lines of what Timo was saying, to where the film is maybe, if anything, a sort of contemplation, reflection, and meditation on the fact that perhaps maybe you can't cancel somebody regardless of how bad they are. But I still do maintain that they were interesting acting opportunities for Kate Blanchett and interesting dramatic opportunities if we actually went a little bit further into some of the many plot points that sort of are eschewed in favor of just continuing yeah. to keep the lens on Lydia Tarr. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Can I just thing? say something? Oh, yeah. I'm going to hop in. I, and I'm sorry that I'm, I'm taking the monopoly on speaking time here, but it ha- I, I think it I'm has speaking to be a lot said. Too. Yeah. Um, that the ending, as we were talking about it, she's playing Monster Hunter. I don't think that it's Todd Field saying um, video game music is a lower art form and thus is a punishment for Lydia Tarr. I think that it is Lydia Tarr doesn't care about this music at all in the slightest. That's why it is an insult to her, is yeah. that we're talking about separating the art from the artist. We are, We have literally separated the artist from the art that she cares about doing, classical music, Mahler, whatever she's whatever she's conducting out over Symphonies. here in Berlin, she's she is now completely separated from that and must do Monster Hunter cosplay shows. Which is not to say that that is like a lower form of music, only that Libyatar views it as such. Yeah, and, absolutely. And that is why she is embarrassed to be there. That is mm-hmm. why it is a punishment for her. I just want yeah, to put a put a, a a quick note on on kind of maybe to try to let's wrap up this discussion on on okay, the, yeah, on the stuff. Yeah. Damn! Before I yeah. got to say what it was, we I have I have done a lot of thinking about what this film has to say and what it means, and we collectively here have just done a lot more thinking on it. And I think that mm-hmm. the fact that to come to the conclusion of what this film is trying to say, given that it's about a very contemporary socio political issue of cancel culture, feels like. If you're trying to say something about it and have it be like understood, I I do would I would caution Todd Fields that like we are straddling a line of subtleism here that makes it so that the everyday viewer might have a really difficult mm. time dissecting yeah. out what this film is trying to say. I think we can do it because we are trained. We do this with every We're movie. We're sick bastards, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But like the I think it's dangerous to try to to try to you know say stuff dangerous to say stuff but it is it is more dangerous in like a, something a situation like this where it can be taken the wrong way and it can be understood as todd's fields anti-woke you know barrage in the middle of the in that the scene and i'm you know? sure there's some people out there who are who are lauding it for that <laughs> if i can just say to that point though i think that we are some of the only people under the age of like 45 who saw tar so i'm not too <laughs> worried about who in, 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 uh, interrogates what the film has to say but also i'm gonna be honest with you i'm sick and i've been drinking so much fucking water i literally am going to piss myself we are going to have to break for okay. 90 seconds i'm gonna pee pee break i'll be right okay. back okay we, we talk about this film being ambiguous and having multiple readings, and does that make the film quote-unquote irresponsible in some ways because of the political climate that it's released into? But I do think that there is a deeper detail to the creation of this film, the artistry behind Todd, Phil, Todd Field writing this kind of dialogue, uh, the, the character of Lydia Tarr, the portrayal by Kate Blanchett, is something that you might not realize 
Abram. And because this is your first viewing and you're not particularly familiar with the film beforehand, and, and inspired by a few things that you said before we started recording, is that Lydia Tarr is not a real person. She was never real. And Todd Field wrote, this is an entirely fictional script. And that, I think, is what's so impressive about this movie. And now, Abram is covering <laughs> He's covering face. Are you fucking serious? Yes. yes. Lydia Tarr we were, was never okay. real. Totally, we're going to derail the quest episode here. <laughs> peeling, peeling the curtain back. Abram, before we started rolling, was like, look at this Lydia Tarr Twitter account. Is this really her? And we just kind of like, uh, me, Tucker, and Tiva all just kind of like shot around glances quickly. And we're like, yeah, fuck it. We'll fuck with him. Yeah, Abram, that's, that's the real Lydia Tarr. And Abram, here's the thing. You're not the only one. It was a very mm -hmm. common sentiment online for people to be like, wait, Lydia Tarr isn't a real person? Lots heard, of people wait, thought wait, she was a real person. But I heard a story that the real Lydia Tarr didn't approve of how this film depicted her. It's all That's the meme. The point. It's all the meme. Yeah. Oh my god. It Are is you a, serious? It is a, a multi-textual... And here's the thing, Abram. It's so fascinating to see that you, you're on the other side of this because... When the the lead up to the film, the release of it, we were all, I was at least on the side of film Twitter that was like totally on in on the joke that like, and everyone else was everyone's tweeting as like Lydia Tard this and this and this Lydia Tard isn't happy with it. They, they were yeah. photoshopping CNN articles. We were doing the whole nine yards, and it was oh hilarious. God. And then to see someone on the other side of that is fascinating. Tanner, I was going to actually ask you if it, if you had any trivia about why Lydia Tar didn't like Tar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, we we should have just let him keep going, man. We well, should have just no, let him. I do. And that, that, that totally recontextualizes Abrams, like, the last like, 30 minutes of conversation we just had. Ah, but no, he's it does. It, it, kinda, it yeah, recontextualizes yeah. it for the audience, but we all yeah. knew that he didn't know. And I do think that there is a creation of this film and an artistry to the fact that this this is the most real I've ever felt a character be in a film. Mm -hmm. And it's not based on a real person. This is the best biopic there ever was. And, but it's not a real <laughs> exactly. person. It's the second yeah. best, man. The Weird Al movie has got to be the oh, best. Oh, my bad. Yeah, Weird the Al Yankovic story. But uh. I, I do think that with Todd Field creating a character that is representative of these themes of cancel culture, of separating art from the artist, creating someone who is flamboyant and ridiculous and has this narrative about herself and sees herself as ostensibly flawless and, and it has this tragic past that is so believable that the like opening few minutes of this film where he's like, yeah, she has an EGOT and she won all these awards and, and she has this history and she's one of the most influential we, artists of our time. We shout out Hildur Gunadotir, the real yeah. sound supervisor for this movie and real composer who's, well, she didn't get nominated this year, but she was nominated uh, at the Oscars previously. And we, we give what? her, a shout, Lydia Tarr gives her a shout out and it's so cool. Yeah, I, and, I'm uh, I'm going to Letterboxd to, to raise my review now that I know this. I literally feel like I'm hallucinating. <laughs> but I do think that's a fascinating element of yeah. why this film is so distinct, is you're talking about the film being a little ambiguous with not showing certain things and avoiding um, being harsh to Lydia Tarr. And I think that there's a good version of Tarr out there that shows the deposition and shows her having an argument with her wife. And those are, yes, absolutely great moments that, that Kate Blanchett or Shredder would have nailed. But I do think this film is more distinct because it explicitly stays away from those. And you'll it'll be like super, super long sequences. And then you'll get like ostensibly like a five second insert shot of like Lydia Tarr did something bad. Boop, and then it'll cut off. It'll move to something else. And mm -hmm. because the film is so through Lydia Tarr's eyes that that it, it takes a different approach to telling a story like that. 
and it's the subtleism that we talked about at the beginning and the subtle the subtleties of her performance and the themes and the supporting cast and the visual imagery of like that maze sort of thing that uh, evokes memories of Krista that keeps showing up in her life and the the uh, metronome ticking back and forth mm-hmm. and like waking up in the middle of a jungle random insert shot but is really really cool these elements I think portray a complex character and condemn her in ways that are so not explicit and do require deeper contextual understanding of the creation of the film and the themes that we're exploring here. But I think they're so well done that they they convince someone who doesn't know the real context of it. And I think that's really fascinating. They yeah, convince I, many people, to be yeah, fair. Abram's not the only one. I'm I am like actually stunned that 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 this is none of this is real. Like genuinely. And I think that is it's it's interesting because um I have this interest for a couple of reasons. The first thing I'll say is I don't think it really um, makes me change my mind about anything I said previously because I think it's nonetheless still so close to reality that what it has to say about these larger cultural ideas yes. are, are still translatable. And Tanner and I were even having a conversation um, after I watched Pulp, not Pulp Fiction, um, Fight Club, Fight Club for the first time earlier this year. And I was saying that like through a modern lens, Tyler Durden's sort of position in the narrative's overall message feels different. Mm-hmm. Um, because of when, the year in which I watched it. So I think sort of inherently some of what Timo was talking about, maybe like the quote-unquote dangers of interpretation in this film, are also just informed by when it released. But to that point, I think, as you're saying, Tucker, it's very impressive to capture this moment accurately because I was, yeah. as I was talking about in one of my, my courses recently, we were talking about the idea of, like the, um, of the pandemic episode of a TV yeah. show. But I also brought into conversation Glass Onion, which is set in like 2020. Mm-hmm. But what's weird about Glass Onion is that it feels so so modern that it feels almost uncanny. Like it's yeah. trying to comment on things that I'm still living through, so it just feels ingenuine. We haven't in a way. even figured out yet. Right. But but I think that it's impressive and part of the reason why I think that this is so believable as like an adaptation of real life yeah. is That's because the screenplay. All right. <laughs> I actually, when you said original screenplay, I was like, well, that doesn't quite make sense. To me. <laughs> but, but, but when we mention like the New Yorker interview or we talk about do it, what she did during lockdown or how mm-hmm. they released. Oh, this and there's, body, there's yeah. the, the, the part where they play NPR, they play like freaking yes. morning edition and it sounds and they have the ad and it's the mm-hmm. ad. It is. That is the ad that NPR. Play. That is. Yeah, that's uncanny yeah. and weird and works really well. But I think unlike something like Glass Onion or some of these other shows we were talking about in class, it's it's so organic and it is a testament to the quality of a writing that even though I'm a little, you know, I'm a, as I as I express a little ambiguous, wishy-washy on the ambiguity of the, of the themes, the dialogue, and this is where I brought bring Drive My Car into conversation, is so cutting and so multi-layered and so complicated and, and so authentic that it sells the situation of the film as being almost more real than real life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a testament to a good a good pen game. And that's something yeah. I appreciate a lot as as somebody who, who writes for a living. So I yeah. do want to commend the script very, very strongly, and almost doubly so mm-hmm. now that I've found out that I'm an idiot. 
it, um, so. it's the so greatest, because greatest twist never, in a quest episode ever, I think. Yeah, Probably. Yeah. Never in the marketing once does it like hint at that it's the real thing, but uh, but it, it is so grounded in the modern world. And um, it's a good thing you didn't read my letterbox review because that that totally says like it's so good that some people are convinced that it's a biopic, which it's not. Um, but in there, in my letterbox review, after I saw it the first time, I even say it succeeds in being so flawlessly modern and true to our world like no other film I had seen before. All of these real-world things where, even in Glass Onion, it feels a little bit like a novelty to have it set in May 2020. Yeah. It feels so effortless here, and it's amazing. That's just a testament to the writing from Todd Field, but also the direction to make it feel so natural. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and it, it, we spent a lot of time talking about uh, Lydia Tarr as a character, and maybe not as much talking about Kate Blanchett's performance. Although everything that we said about it <laughs> is because of Kate Blanchett's performance, uh-huh. so yeah, there's yeah. that. Um, but I do want to talk about the direction and the cinematography and the editing, the visual language yeah. Yeah. of uh, of Tarr, because I think it is equally fantastic. Out with the language, language of it yeah. into the vis- the visual language. It had a surprise cinematography nomination. Not not a lot of people anticipating that it would get this, but and I've seen I've seen a, a tweet thread of like the cinematography of Tar, and it's just like all the cool frames from it. I'm like, yeah, these are all awesome. Yeah, because we spend a lot of time in these ornate Berlin auditoriums and orchestra halls that are so fascinating and. Todd Field and uh, the cinematographer. I said uh, the the name at the beginning. I forget what it is. Roger Deakins. Not Roger Deakins. He was busy making Empire of Light. Uh, It is the cinematographer Florian Hoffmeister. Yes. Finds so many cool angles to just to shoot this from. Um, That one of the of the orchestra hall, just like from straight down, like like a bird's eye view. If the bird like died and was falling, and it's just like (laughs) so geometrically shaped. I'm like, I have no clue. How they captured this. Even simple stuff like um, there, there's a shot where it is Lydia, uh, uh, Nina Sharon is, is there, um, and Francesca is there, and Sebastian is there, and they're all having a conversation after after a, a rehearsal or something like that. And then uh, Sebastian comes down and he like kneels down. He literally is kneeling before Lydia Tar, which is a little, nice little visual note. And then the Almost. stage is framed in the background. Yeah. It's, Beautiful, it's beautiful blocking. Whenever we see Lydia Tarr conducting, the camera is like, is like below, is, you know, the ex- most extreme low angle possible, which power, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Powerful character Absolutely. looks down on you. I, there's two shots particularly I want to talk about, but I just, I'm sorry. I have, there's one other thing I have to say about what the fetish okay. isn't real. It's a, we'll allow it. Bef- before it's we started shock. recording, I yeah. was looking at an account called at. Lydia Tar real and I was trying to get them to figure out if it was real mm-hmm. and I was having them open up the fucking profile picture to t- tell me if that was Kate Blanchett or Lydia Tar. <laughs> I don't know how you guys did just like lose it when I asked you to do that that's fucking crazy we we're, knew we're, we're, we knew what was going on as Kate Blanchett as good as but actors as there Kate are Blanchett texts for that. from me to both of them saying don't tell him yeah. wait until the episode <laughs> yeah. we need to make this a bit yeah you're like <laughs> don't awesome. so. it's a coordinated what, effort okay Mm-hmm. Okay, that's out of my system. What I actually wanted to say about the cinematography is that, um, to me, this is one of this is one of the the visual films of the year. I, I think that this is an absolutely deserved nomination, um, because I think the cinematography is not only quite precise and, mm-hmm. and beautifully framed, but also so thematically full. Mm-hmm. Um, 
There's a couple shots I really like. One that I really think is quite interesting is we're in the we're in like one of the New York underpasses, mm-hmm. um, or one of the, one of the New York City tunnels, and we're in like an Uber or whatever, and the camera comes up behind the car, but like the top third or more of the frame is like the ceiling, and it makes everything feel very claustrophobic, and it's and it's like this subtle but overt visual message that that, that the walls are closing in around Lydia Tarr. Because typically, if you're framing that shot, you're you're maybe down behind the bumper or a little bit above the top of the car. But we're like high up, and this is just ceiling, and it feels mm-hmm. imposing. Yeah. But the shot that's most interesting to me and might actually be my favorite shot of 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 the year, um, is you're saying Tucker about sort of the the geometric element to the cinematography. Everything is very much aligned. Yeah. But then when Lydia Tarr has her break, mental break, and she plays the accordion. We cut to a shot that's off Got kilter. Got an apartment for sale. Oh my god! <laughs> it, it is it is the only shot in the film that is like off of its axis, mm. and because of because of how principled the photography is around that one shot, it becomes so clear. And it is the first thing that illustrates that goddamn Lydia Tarr is really gone now. And yeah. I and I think it's really commendable. And we're talking this with all quite on the western front when your cinematography becomes a vehicle for character and theme. Yeah. So it, I think this is one of its most deserved nominations right up there with Kate Blanchett for mm-hmm. Best Actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am... Um... Oh, go ahead, Tucker. Go ahead. Well, uh, talking a little bit about the cinematography, but a different aspect of it is, in a weird and very subtle way, I think the color grading of this movie is absolutely fantastic because it's it's, it's almost over-naturalistic. It's all gray and brown, but it brings a real richness out of these gray and brown color palettes that is like... Hard to believe. I'm looking at a frame that is just brown wooden stairs and like a gray background and Lydia Tarr in a black jacket and with her white skin and her blonde hair. It's like, this is a beige, boring color palette. But the way that the cinematography, A, frames it in very interesting ways and makes it dynamic and geometric and interesting in those framings, but then the color grading brings out the color that is so muted, makes this film feel distinct unlike any other. There's the muted color palette of war films like 1917 or like All Quiet on the Western Front, but I think the almost robotic nature of the cinematography and the gray tone scale of this, uh, the grayscale tone of this film's visual language, I think is fantastic. And that's all on top of some of the most ridiculous, brutalist sets I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, I was going to talk about sets. The the sets, which I think are probably real musicals, I, I there's no way they built like entire or uh, stadiums. Yeah, I'm sure for it was that. filmed in Berlin. I think uh, in that variety video I mentioned, they mentioned Dresden as well. So yeah, sure. real, real yeah. orchestra halls, real places. But they're also matched up with uh, with other places that are probably sets or at least took some scouting that are her home and the places she visits that are just as geometric and reflect her personality just as much. That are not the orchestra halls that are, you know, obviously probably iconic to people who care, but are mm-hmm. very cool and, and brutal and imposing. But her home is as well. And I think the synergy of the geometric uh, cinematography, the rich but very muted color grading, and the brutalist set is one of the most distinct artistic visual visions of the year because mm-hmm. no one else wants to do cinematography like that. No one else wants to like show sets like this. But you place Lydia Tarr in it, and you're like, yeah, that feels right. This mm-hmm. is the, like, robotic, like, I'm in control nature of Lydia Tarr portrayed through color grading and cinematography and set design and, and like, set location scouting. It's it's phenomenal. Ridiculously phenomenal, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to just note that these, 
these locations make me feel some type of way. I um <laughs> I I don't know if I've like fully like figured out this film is saying stuff through all of its filmic elements, of course. Um but these sets, like, man, they really tell us about who Lydia is as a character without her needing to say much. Yep. And um I yeah, I, they, these sets I want to just be able to go through and be like, okay, this one means that, and this next one means this. But like, that information isn't hasn't presented itself to me. But uh, I think it's in there. I think that you could do a full thesis on how the set and the locations of the film are directly tied to character motivations and internal feelings and everything mm -hmm. like that. It's all there. I just haven't done the mental labor to like pull it out because sure. it is something yeah. that you're not that you're not really intended to notice um i think in film but we do but we do notice it and we feel it i really feel it during the during the runtime yeah there's um i've i've done a little bit of writing about brutalism recently actually for some stuff i'm doing in lock on um and there's this notion that like brutalism is imposing architect architecture but also architecture i sound like i'm four is, is imposing architecture, but there's also a very beautiful tenor to it. It's almost like this in, inherent contrast or juxtaposition within itself. Mm. And there's probably something there within the sort of feelings we're supposed to feel about Lydia Tarr as a person. Mm -hmm. And so you can probably, if you're smarter than me, tease out some sort of connection there. But I think that also just on an aesthetic level, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I mean just expose it's 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 that contrast between the exposed concrete and then that that hyper finished modern wood mm -hmm. yeah. but what's also interesting about a lot of the the um the locales of the film is that they're very empty there's yeah. a lot of empty space in the film we there's we i think about the moments when we're doing the blind auditions for people to add to the ensemble and it's just these just these rows of empty seats Mm -hmm. Or when we go to where Olga lives, and it's just these empty corridors, or even, oh God, another beautiful shot of the film, the the, the which way Western man shot of out back out to the beautiful Berlin like street or down to the dark fucking mm -hmm. gross uh, cellar, and this and the shot is just bisected perfectly by the concrete pillar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just all so spare. There is there are frankly not that many people except for when everybody is sort of can sort of converging for these musical moments so there's probably something there too but i don't know i can just say like hey no people and that's about as deep as my commentary can go <laughs> um i want to talk editing as well that's the other nomination that this got and yeah i think that you know edit uh, editing also comes with sound and i'll let timo loose on that one a little bit I'm, but i'm gonna keep him latched for just a second more um, <laughs> <at least. laughs> um caged if you will <laughs> i just love how there is no fat on this film for the two hours and 40 minutes um but especially towards the end and i can see like complaints about how it goes too fast towards the end abram when you thought lydia tar was a real person you were mentioning how we never really see uh these these things these bad things happening to her these comeuppance moments um but i love how it goes so quick because it feels like the, the last four or five dominoes are falling over of her she she can't she can't see her 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 daughter anymore and then we are in the Berlin Orchestra Hall and the feet come down from the from the bathroom stall and she's oh, oh, she's like grunting as she's like walking really she's like power walking out and she pushes Mark Strong off the off the uh the orchestrating podium. stand I don't know the podium, podium? thank you yeah that's the word 
Um, and then we are boom, we, we are just boom, boom, boom. She's in Philip. She's in the Philippines. She's throwing up because she's been confronted with, you know, the prospect of picking out a particular woman, which is what she's been doing for her the entirety of her professional career, essentially. And then we're in front of the Monster Hunter group, and then we're playing dubstep at the end. It's so quick, and it really does feel like the the the, the final dominoes are falling in Lydia Tar's yeah. story. And Absolutely. well, actually, if you guys want to br- say anything about that before we loose Timo on the sound, I want to say something about the editing. Go for it. I'll, I'll hold it. I just like the cut, the, the 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 classic match cut of the the music. Yeah, so so awesome. She's like playing something simple on the piano, and then oh, yeah, the shot of her. God, it's great. Yeah, it's also I, another I, great cut that uses sound very well. And it's when yes. yeah, it's when she. Falls on the stairs and clonks her head, and it sounds like a fucking coconut. I think it's hilarious, but then it's like the cut of the, the her like cracking the ice with the rolling pin. Like mm-hmm. that's there's a lot of really great like cuts in this film. You don't see that I, often. I will say that I do think that the film in its editing, it just it does feel too long to me. The, yeah, there were me several points where I'm I'm checking my phone for the time, which I try to do as infrequently as possible watching films but i just kept wondering like damn how long have i been here and and i think that's a testament to, to maybe the fact that that like drive my car the screen time is all intentional in use but it's just so dense that i wish there's a little bit more of a of an editing reprieve maybe even mm. because there are long sequences that really end up operating in just shot reverse shot conversations dinner sequences and things like that and and i find myself at a certain point, while I think that it might get a little too fast, I almost long for early, earlier sequences of the film to adopt a little bit more of a of a of a, of a fast tempo, hmm. because there there is very clear sort of messaging and thematics in that editing choice. You'll super fast at the end, very similar to like the third act of Goodfellas when Henry Hill is on cocaine for the entirety yeah. of it, so the film edits faster. Yeah. Um, but I do Return think cocaine bear. <laughs> oh my God! Don't I don't. Don't even talk about that one. <laughs> I, I I just think that we 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 linger too long in earlier parts of the film. Okay. To to where I just it gets me off the train a little bit, and and yeah. that might be my biggest objective issue with the film. I just don't think the pacing is quite there for me. Mm. Yeah, mm. that's okay. Yeah, I thought I thought the film was long. Also, this time around, I didn't. Not watching it in theaters meant that I was like, I was kind of. I think the Philippine section is a little long. Like our, I want to get to our punchline. Like why? I don't know. We, I don't need to know about the gators in the river. Mm. I don't. I don't know what that adds to me to my. Well, like, I actually do think that that particular sequence has like a line that adds meaning to it. It's when she's like, "Oh, we should go swimming," and they're like, "No, there's alligators." Like that's a terrible idea. It just shows how little she knows about nature and the world at large because she's so focused. Her knowledge is vast when it comes to music. She talks about creators and their histories and their personal lives and the mm-hmm. way they've influenced her in a way that my brain can't even comprehend but i'm loving every moment of it but like these people who have lived their lives in the philippines and they like they, they know obviously we don't go swimming in the water there's gators there she like she like puts her hand in the water she's like oh this is fun because she like she never leaves the her her building quote unquote because she's so set in her life and i think that like that's that's sort of a, a thematic reading to that mm-hmm. the escaped from a marlon brando movie yeah Amar, which this is another funny movie. I, I don't know. Who knows? Um, Sound Mo. Sound Mo. Yeah. I, well, this movie was not nominated. Uh, hello, Doug? Doug. Not in sound. Doug, Doug nominated in sound. It should have been. I will say, should have been nominated in sound, just because 
obvious. You can't give it an original score nomination because the score isn't original. Mm-hmm. Um, but Hildegard Dotier, as I said, supervised the sound for this and yeah. did a stellar job. Yeah, I find that the sound is very naturalistic. And I think that th- th- this movie had a great dialogue editor because the dialogue just sound like the the way that the dialogue sounds is very good. Um, wow. Wow. Yeah, but like, I think it's, it's very crisp. He uses cuts uh, very, very well, cutting around with the sound. Um, but like, I don't know, were there moments that like, re- beyond those two cuts that we talked about that like really stood out to y'all? Hearing the dog kind of was maybe one for me. I don't, I feel like, okay, Tanner, go ahead. Tell me, tell me. Okay. Uh, so Andrus has a line uh, about halfway through the film where he says, uh, some composer Schopenhauer measured intelligence by sensitivity to sound. Mm-hmm. And from that point forward, even the first time I watched it, I am tipped off to every slight sound that, that Lydia Tarr hears. Because we she is a very intelligent person, as Tucker alluded to. She is, you know, very well versed in composers and, and uh, the history of music and all of these things. And there are just so many little things like, um, here, I wrote some of these down. Um, the the uh, alarm button that her like her elderly neighbor has that she like she she's trying to write her 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 new piece and she like mm. she hears it and she's like uh-huh uh-huh or um there's a siren outside at, at one point um the car like there's there's like a rumble going on in her car that she like shoots a glance over at um the fridge the uh the, yeah, the that fridge moment is really good the metronome as well yeah. um and to a more obvious extent, uh, the scream that she hears when she's out running in the woods, which is another element of uh, her being like haunted by uh, at least uh, Krista's ghost, I think, to some mm-hmm. extent. So, yes. But I, th- I think there are many elements, many moments of like little sounds that tip you off and, and, and put you in the shoes, in the mind space of Lydia Tarr. Yeah. yeah. It, I think it, that's because you're right, the sound is naturalistic, but I do think that it's heightened. Elements like the fridge humming for whatever the hell reason is called so much to attention to it puts you as tanner said in the headspace of of one lydia tar and it, it for me and i'm surprised it didn't pull you in as much as it did for tanner and i it puts me in in the sound mood which most films don't because it calls attention to its own sound design but i think it is so masterfully done that it can feel naturalistic but to me it is it's hyper realistic Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, Tucker, I'm always in a sound mood, so uh, you know. <laughs> That's a great point. My bad. You yeah, didn't imply I, anything. <laughs> I have to say, I'm I'm probably closer to Timo in terms of the sound design. I it's didn't good. find it that remarkable. But yeah, yeah, I don't. I just it's like, I don't know. There weren't any moments I, where I was like, oh, awesome. I think that a certain the metronome is is it, it the metronome or the um the fall into the ice breaking mm-hmm. is you're sort of guided into those moments more. I think that at a certain point, you can be too subtle with what you're doing. Mm. And and I do think that a lot of the, the work with sound is too subtle. I mean, I'm coming off of Amadeus, for instance. I think that Amadeus's use of sound is, is quite remarkable in how it uses music to evoke character. Yeah. And I was actually quite surprised that there are actually not that many moments of like grand orchestral classical music throughout the film. They're, they are there, but they're more sparing than I anticipated. Yeah. And, and, and so I, I, I wonder almost if the sound design was in part sort of a maybe a missed opportunity to get further away from the naturalism team was talking about. Because I think you guys are right in that it strays from it. 
But I just think that it, it is so soft spoken that it it doesn't become apparent to me. Mm. But also, my fucking TCL TV apparently yeah. did not like yeah. mix that audio up because I I it, also again I was sick, so maybe my my ears could have been plugged. That is an equally mm. likely scenario. It is. But I was literally standing next to my TV with it at seventy five volume when I usually watch stuff at like thirty five to hear. Wow. But it sounded like that was more on my TV issue. Yeah. But. Nonetheless, the I do think is, the this is movie too is very well mixed. Okay. Yeah. You said that comment, and I'm like, no, I've seen it twice. You're off your rocker. Like, <laughs> yeah. the, the dialogue yeah, is so clear, and the sound design for me stands out so well. Like, agree to disagree, respectfully. No, so, no, you're wrong. I have to be right. So we're nearing the end here, and I, 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 I find myself as a hardcore lover of this film lamenting a little bit the time that we spent on talking about is Lydia Tarr a good person or not. Um, because I think that, it's, as I said, it's such a thematically dense film that I feel like we didn't spend enough time talking about all the other themes in here. And I'm not saying we gotta spend another 30 minutes doing that. Um, but rather I want to come around to a promise that we made at the very beginning of the, of this review, which is talking about the, the little interjecting moments of the live streaming texting going on. Oh, yeah. And that is perhaps mm. one of the most, um blatant question marks left open in the film there's there's a lot of interpretations to have lots of things that you see that it's a it's a small detail it's a dream that she has where she's waking up in the middle of the jungle whatever but this is pervasive and i think it's probably the most popular like point of difference of what people think is happening here so i want to go around the horn and get everybody's thoughts on what this is it's francesca she's uh she's doing it that's my thought She's yeah. the one with the that that is I don't know who she's talking to, um, but the way that Francesca's character leaves the film makes me think that like this is her viewing this weird woman that she works for and tr like attempting to figure out like what the deal with Tar is yeah. by communicating with some other person and being like, mm -hmm. oh, there she is. Like, oh, Lydia Tarr, isn't she doing something weird again? Like, that's like a, maybe like a, a coping mechanism? I'm not sure. My feeling, and and then part of why, Tanner, I actually think the conversation we had was, was important because mm -hmm. ultimately the film is not only a character study, regardless if she's a real person or not, still mm -hmm. a character study of Lydia Tarr, but the film, I think, ultimately is still concerned with the ideas of reputation and art and creation and and what that means to connect that to a person to to distance it from a person to mm -hmm. me that the texting moments if anything are a sort of another instance of how the film is really talking about the ways that a person becomes sort of um sort of loses their personhood and becomes a, an object of a larger like social and cultural sort of movement or judgment mm -hmm. potentially acquittal because ultimately it's people talking about Lydia Tarr without Lydia Tarr's knowledge. So I just sort of view that as a reinforcement of the idea that she is somebody to be looked at and to be judged. But I didn't really get much out of it beyond that. Mm, okay. Yeah, the God's honest truth, you want to know it? I forget what? about those moments. There's like, what? There's like three of them. They're like 10 second shots. They, mm. don't, they don't add much to me. I do think that they're so distanced from the rest of the film that they don't really register in my mind. It's like, it's only when they're brought up like, oh yeah, that's right, that is in that movie, but they don't they don't really factor in my mind. I just I intend I, I intend to forget about them. What's your take, where Tanner? Is your, where is your guys' imagination? My mind is running wild on 
who is behind the camera, especially in that first one, because it's it, it fascinates me because is this some like concerted plot to bring down Lydia Tarr just like to spy on her to bring her down from from her inner circle is it Francesca is it Krista in her in her room at the beginning Krista is there at that new at the at the New Yorker conversation when we do when we go to that shot of like behind someone's head it is very clearly a person with red hair it's Krista she's there and then is it, it like when when Olga is doing it at uh, at Lydia Tarr's book signing, is she in on it or is she just like taking the piss out of uh, Lydia Tarr, who she clearly doesn't care about to the extent that Lydia oh, cares God, about you're, her? You're opening this up. Oh no, my brain. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 I I think that it's that that very first one is Francesca, and Francesca is communicating with Krista, and that is why Francesca is so deeply um emotionally hurt when she when she hears that Krista has has killed herself is that you know the, the, it's we also finally... knew that they were friends because they exactly. went on like a boat tour up a river or whatever for a while yeah. and they they spent years together yeah but i don't think that francesca is stupid she is complacent perhaps but you know that that's that, that's commonplace and you know she has to build up a a portfolio essentially of evidence against Lydia Tarr, and that's what she yeah. does uh, towards the end, I think she is absolutely the one that who is sort of behind the scenes and in, in, in leaking stuff to the uh, the executive board or whatever mm-hmm. that that brings Lydia Tar down eventually. But yeah, that just that stuff just fascinates me because it, because it is the uh, the secret invisible screws behind what brings down Lydia Tar, which is what yep. the whole film was about. You're right. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah, more stuff to think about. This is a this is a thinker of a movie. I'm declaring mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. I I will say one more time um that again there's a lot of, there's lots of theme to talk about here. There's a great thread on Twitter that I found that is if you guys think what I just said was introspective, this is fucking off the wall like they are analyzing shots from the trailer that aren't even in the movie uh and it's I'll I'll maybe put that in the description of this video. I'll I'll, I'll yeah. link that thread cuz it is insane and it talks about the spiritualism that runs throughout Tar. And how that connects that. to, yeah, well, it, how it connects to um her time with the um, uh, that that South American tribe that th- that yeah. we hear about and which is briefly alluded to with the jungle thing, but mm-hmm. is hardly in the film, but it's an entire thread about all all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's interesting, Tanner, but it also sort of speaks to part of my my complaint with the film that it feels like there is just. There is so much that exists only on the utmost periphery that I can't even really find myself invested in its exploration, frankly. Because I, I the film is so hyper-focused on Lydia Tarr that these these elements around it to me just sort of dissolve away and I kind of forget about them. Hmm. And so while I do have a sort of feeling about what those text conversations mean, in large part, I feel like Tucker does to where they sort of just become a couple shots in, yeah. in the sort of composite whole of Tar. And maybe that's to its detriment. Maybe that's maybe I'm just not a curious enough viewer to want to piece all that together. Probably. But <laughs> potentially. But 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 I feel like the film really is just at least personally, it really is just concerned with understanding how a person like Lydia Tar is sort of viewed in through a social lens and, and how that social lens changes them. Yeah. And maybe this stuff ties into it somehow, but I, I don't know. I also think that to, to what Timo said about his second viewing experience, I'm not sure I'm that motivated to watch it a second time. Yeah. 
Because frankly, I think that through this conversation, as I've actually raised my score a fair bit, because I think I've reached a sort of a deeper understanding about um, about what the film is trying to say and how it operates. But at the same time, I still do reflect back on the fact like it is one of those texting scenes, and then this long and frankly boring like opening credits bit that starts the film before we enter a very long dialogue sequence. I don't really feel motivated because of how the film sort of conveys information to revisit it. Sure. Yeah. But um, it might just be subjective, but I do think that there's a question of pacing and editing as we wrap through those first two acts, probably. Yeah. Um, it, I'll make this my mission statement. I'll put my muzzle on, save for my score uh, after this. But I think you really illuminated there to me why I am so fascinated by Tar, is that it makes me immensely curious about everything that it has in store all the tiny details about uh, apparently and someone i this is in that thread i was talking about like the little maze pattern is on the metronome in her office and like what does that mean it's an insanely drawing it (laughs) yeah it's an insanely small detail that makes that opens up a world of possibility in this film to me and it's rare that that happens for me in film, but Tar did it. Todd Field, Kate Blanchett, the entire creative team behind Tar did it for me. And that's why I really, really adore this film. And that's saying something because this isn't even my favorite of the nominees this year. <laughs> and my score will reflect how much I adore this film. Wow. Yeah. Shall we stop, uh, you know, stop all this fa- high, high-minded, fancy flute and discussion and just give this movie a damn score? Let's just yeah, do it, huh? Let's just probably do it. should, but I probably should have opened up my sheet already, shouldn't I? <laughs> oh, man. Holy sheet. Holy, Holy sheet. sheet. Oh, my God. Lots of good puns to be made in regards to <laughs> fucking, and, you know, conducting and sh- and sheets and score and, mm-hmm. just, you know. Yeah, that's a great point. Oh, yeah, score. Oh, my God. I'm just gonna throw a little tidbit out there for the for the Timo Lore aficionados. <laughs> mm-hmm. Carrie Taylor is my Lydia Tar. That was our band conductor. <laughs> oh, I see. I, I see. Okay. I didn't get that. I didn't get that. So yeah, why would you? Literally, percent of the human population has no context for that joke. Mm-hmm. That's why I have <laughs> to say it on the video. Okay, let's find out. And in, uh, in, I was going to try to do whatever. I'm trying too hard on this conducting mm-hmm. business. Three, two, one, go. Boom. Tanner. Okay. Tanner put it in. Our average mm-hmm. score is yet another 9.2. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus God damn it. Three out of the so, four films on this ugh. list have been given a 9.2. The point breakdown, by the way, Tanner gave it a 9.8. Tucker gave it a 9.7. <laughs> I gave it a 9.0. And Abram gave it an 8.1. So here's where it gets interesting, because we technically let the computer litigate mm-hmm. um, uh, what well, was it? The all quiet everywhere, to it. all quiet. Yeah. yeah, but I think that we should. I think that we should begin this with versus all quiet. Okay, I don't it think the it should. Two. It is the number two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I'm saying is I don't think that I don't think that all quiet should be taken as a nine point one eight in as any it... instance other than for the sake of breaking that tie. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, if I may, I you know I'm taking the muzzle off. I said I was putting it on, but I'm ripping Christ, it off. You're taking baby. the thing right back off because I, I it's no contest for me. I think because I think we're looking at a 
wholly original product that is infused with so much theme, so much meaning. And even if you don't want to in get into all that, it is such a fascinating character study that is so much more detailed and so much more uh, light. Well, not lengthy. I think that these probably are, are pretty comparable in runtime, yeah. but is so much more involved in studying its main character than All Quiet on the Western Front. And All Quiet on the Western Front is a fantastic film that has a fantastic character, Paul, at its center. But I think it's Tar. Just from... The craft is very similar here, but uh, I'm going to fall back on a bit of a everything everywhere uh, argument here when we, when we argue those two. All Quiet on the Western Front is doing something familiar, I think. When Tar is you know, blowing up the the pseudo-biopic, the psychological drama to a scale of craft never before seen. Yeah. I think what what I would say, Tanner, is I for me, I'm not sure that the the parallel between Tar and Everything Everywhere is quite as one-to-one. -one because ultimately oh, yeah. when I watch Tar, I see what feels in large part like an archetypically Oscar film. It is it is a performance driven, very well written drama. Yeah. Again, I don't think that the, the that the apple falls far from the drive my car tree or any of the other similarly length, similarly dense dramas we've watched for Quest. And that's not me criticizing it because I've my opinion of of Tar is now that it's a great film. When I came in thinking, yeah, it's pretty good, mm -hmm. but but I think that nonetheless, when we talked about all quite almost in front. We talked about it, frankly, in, in some very similar terms to how we talked about Tar in terms of the ways that it's using sort of all of its filmic affordances. Mm. But I think that nonetheless, Tar to me leans so heavily on its dialogue in a way that, to Timo's point, is has a, has a detrimental effect on pacing, but is also very much to me not as emblematic of what film can do as when I think about every all quiet's ability to evoke just as much if not more of a visceral intellectual but principally emotional response through images and through mm. sound i i think that it's sort of status as an audio visual spectacle that is loaded with theme and emotion to me that sort of propels it pretty clearly into that into that s s number two spot. The moments we were talking about in on all quite almost in front obviously don't have a direct analog. Things like the the suicide with the fork or the moments in the bunker, but I think that those be the the beautiful shots do and what we were thinking about in all quiet with the shot of the tree in the far corner or what all that cinematography meant and conveyed, and then what what Timo was talking about particularly in terms of sound in that film to me is 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 more technically interesting when you're looking at two technically impressive movies yeah. but i think that sort of the visceral texture of all quiet is more impressive and to me more resonant than what tar did i agree with you abram i think that tar doesn't make me feel while i watch it even though there's a lot of stuff to think about and there's it's definitely an intellectually stimulating movie it's not a very emotionally stimula stimulating movie for me whereas all Quiet just hits me like a truck, man. That movie pummeled me in a way that movies don't do very often. And I just, that very aspect, that like the difficulty to watch All Quiet. And I think that, you're, Abram, you're right. That there's a, a lot of similarities between these two films. But I, I'd actually, I'm going to put Tar below All Quiet. I think, I think All Quiet's better um, in I its agree. just like, 
soul crushingness. I, I also think just one other thing I want to add is that I feel like we're also undervaluing the amount of effort that goes into modernizing a narrative like All Quiet. We, we talk about it as, as sort of, uh, not I don't, I don't want to say lesser than, but in every tie we've litigated, we've talked about how like the process of writing or conceptualizing, conceptualizing other narratives is, is a more impressive feat. But I think that there is an equally impressive ability to modernize a narrative that's a hundred years old and sort of a what has become basically a generational story in part mm -hmm. so i just wanted to shut that out also yeah. just because yeah, I, I feel like that's a, a thought that i i didn't put out when we talked about all quiet in particular yeah um i i put, definitely put tar above and i think for me it's distinctness i talked about this a little bit with all quiet on the western front yes obviously i recognize its technical merits and the way that it reinvents the story that i already seen but i do think that what Tar does is sort of the inverse of one of the best picture winners for the last few years, which is Nomadland, is meshing real life and fictional storytelling through film in a completely unique way that feels forward thinking. And this film, in its modernity, was so real, it literally had someone on our panel convinced that it had happened. And of course, that's your misinformation, that's, that's a myriad of factors that are like combining for that. But I do think that it's the distinctness of a film as far as I know, not really trying that before, that absolutely, for me, puts Tar above. I have never seen a character like Lydia Tar. I've never seen a confident lesbian character portrayed to this level in a film before. I've never seen a film so deeply about a film conductor, even Amadeus, that feels so distinct that I am in the headspace of a certain character. From the visuals, from the so naturalistic, it feels like someone's just coming up with an on-the-spot dialogue to the set design that we're talking about and the editing, the way that you use the sound design, it is one of the most distinct creative visions that I've seen in the last few years. And that is part of the reason why I put Everything Everywhere All at Once at number one. And why I will put this, at least from this list, at my number two or three is that I have never seen something like Tar. We can draw analogs to what All Quiet on the Western Front did for very obvious reasons. And it is, it is great, in my opinion, despite of those, but Tar is great because it is so different. And I would struggle to want to want um, All Quiet in the Western Front to be the representative of what film can be in the future because to me it feels like it is drawing and improving on it, but drawing on things that have been done in the past. And obviously that was my argument for why I thought everything everywhere should go above it. But it, it stands true here is Tar is forward-looking. Tar is innovative. Tar is distinct in a visual and, and um, thematic way that feels more of our current era. And you're right that the um, the story of All Quiet was modernized, but not not that much. And Tar is so modern, it feels like it took place in Germany right now, and we didn't even know about it. That, I, I think, can't be really understated. And maybe this is just a very personal thing, but I value originality over anything else. And even if it is an adapted screenplay, that puts it a knock below, in my opinion, because... Coming up with a, a person that is a person and not a character because she's so well-written as a character that she feels like a person is something I've never experienced with a film for. And I've experienced what the things that All Quiet did. I think that unique experience been in war. <laughs> I, I think, I think one thing that... World I, war one. I, yeah. Another thing I, I just want to say about All Quiet is that there's, to me, originality doesn't come easy, but it's it's easy to espouse the sort of success of an original film when it has no touchstone to be viewed against. Mm 
I do think that part of what makes All Quiet so remarkable to me is that it can be put in direct conversation with so many sort of canonically important films and rise above them. Mm. I at wow. least from 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 my view there is there is a real skill and I think innovation as we're saying using the word innov- innov- innovative for a lot of these other movies we're talking about there's a real innovation to making something as in large part archetypal as a war film feel mm. fresh and feel haunting. Mm-hmm. That to me almost is, is more powerful when what when I start all quiet and think to myself, what new is there to even evoke within me when I'm watching a war film? And maybe it's evoking something similar, but it's evoking it in a way that does still feel new. And I and I guess the only thing, the only reason I bring this up is is I feel like I just feel like we keep like shitting on all quiet in comparison to other films and no, in, in the yeah. effort to put things above it, which we are, and that's fine. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Here's, yeah, the thing. The, the, Here's the thing about it, though. I, yeah. I, I, these are all fantastic films. Yeah. I love all these films. I loved All Quiet on the Western Front when I watched it for the first time for the for this review series. Yeah. But boy, howdy, I will step on its face into the muck to to lift a, the film I love. And love that's more totally above. fair. Yeah. I will yeah, fill no, those it, trenches. Yeah. And that, no, that's totally fair. And I'm not. I'm all I'm saying is that I th- I think that there is a there is an element of importance to that reinvention mm-hmm. that to me is as perennially interesting as doing something brand new. Mm-hmm. As, because as I, yeah, as I would do with basically any other film that we, that we would review on this list, let it you know, if there were more than three films on here, I'd be stepping on you know the Banshees of Sharon or or whatever else to get Tar up that list. But I mean, if if Babylon or Bones and all got nominated, I'd be straight out lying about the other movies to get yeah. those above <laughs> it. So like, what are, like what does it really matter? Case, but in any case, in any I think case, we're, it, we're at a stalemate it, we, here. We do yeah. seem that we're at an, at an impasse. So extending the numbers is going to put Tar below by point oh, um, three, below All, all Quiet right. on the Western Front. So our three-way tie for first place continues. We can say it like that. How about Let's do another one? Mm-hmm. We are going to have to figure something out at the end of this when we realize that all of our favorite movies of this year got a 9.2. They're all fantastic films. But They're really just, good. Yeah. I'll just say once again, okay. I do not think Best Picture is as solid for everything everywhere as some people are saying online. I'll just say it once more. We don't really know. But uh, but we do know that okay. for the time being, well, that, Tar really. is going to go at place number three on the list. But it's a contentious three. Remember that it's... It's within. It's so close it's to so the tops to the top spot, like numerically points wise. So, uh, so yeah, we also know what film we're going to be watching next, don't we you? We do wanna... know what film we're going to be watching next. Uh, the only true biopic on uh, of of this year's nominees, we're going to be watching. Banshees didn't Baz... happen. Banshees didn't happen. Steven uh, well, Spielberg didn't have a girlfriend. Happened. Happened. Kind of. Well, we'll we'll get to it in due time. But anyway, we're talking about. I guess yes, Fableman's. Never mind. We're talking about Top Gun happened also. (laughs) Yeah, what happened? Top Gun. Top Gun also happened in real life. (laughs) Yeah, it happened uh, over the Pacific Coast when they shot down that balloon earlier this week. (laughs) I heard Pete Maverick Mitchell didn't like Maverick that much. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we're talking about Baz Luhrmann's Elvis next. Elvis. Mm. I can't wait. Uh, This was one that I was I was I was hyped for. I wanted to see it. Didn't see it when it came out in theaters, and so I'm very appreciative of the uh, the, the nice yeah. little push to watch it now. We, uh, Timo, you're the only one who hasn't seen Elvis here. Then Abram, That's I, and Tucker yeah. have. I like this movie a lot. Yeah, oh, I excited. didn't like this movie a whole lot when I first watched it. I've 
grown on it slightly, and I anticipate that I will grow on it even more on a rewatch. Mm-hmm. But this one is slightly. on HBO Max for all the uh, for all the streamers who are watching concurrently along with these reviews. So yes. <laughs> For all the people like me that renewed HBO Max to watch Last of Us, you can also watch uh, Elvis now. You can yeah. watch Elvis on there. Beautiful. Um, but yeah. exciting. Yeah. yeah, that's going to be a fun movie to watch, a fun movie to talk about. And luckily, we're not going to have to run any issues with runtime on that one because it's like over three hours long. Quest can go for two hours, two hours and 30 minutes episode. And uh, we'll still we... be under. We, we just It just ends. If we hit... Yeah. An episode that is as long as the movie, it just ends. There's gonna be no conclusion. Um, this is what I. We're not. A, we're not that, anywhere near. Lateral decision. We keep breaking our record here. This is the longest quest long yet. I think review. Avatar was longer than the one before that. So right. unsettling trend. Let's yeah. keep for the sake of brevity. At an hour forty-five minutes into the end of the review, uh-huh. we'll call it there. Until next time. Until we talk about Elvis. Keep it cool. Stay warm and uh, have peace.